At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to Spirits Podcast, episode 84, Talking Badgers with Adel Rafai. Yeah, I'm very excited for this episode for a number of reasons. Um, mostly that Adel is a wonderful human being, and we were really, really lucky to have him on the show. Yeah, Julia did uh, some excellent work in being like, wait, what if we talked about mythology with Adel Rafai? And I was like, damn, yes, let's do it. We <laughs> really, really love the shows that he's on. We talk a little bit about it um, in the actual episode. But this is a really cool mix, I think, of like the mythology of a project that a person does um, and mm-hmm. also like their personal stories. So I think, uh, Julia, you did a really great job preparing for this one. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm very excited for y'all to hear it. But first, we got to talk about our new patrons. Hey, hi, hello. Welcome to Leanne, Janessa, Amara, Rachel, Katrina, Shelby, Joe, and Darcy. Yeah, welcome. Your dads aren't hunger ghosts, but uh, I think you're going to find them interesting anyway. <laughs> and thank you so much to the people who truly helped to make this show happen, talking animals and all. Our supporting producer-level patrons, Philip, Julie, Christina, Josh, Eeyore, Neil, Jessica, Maria, Ryan, Phil Fresh, and Deborah, as well as our legend-level patrons, Sandra, Audra, Mercedes, Jack, Marie, Ashley Marie, Leanne, and Cassie. Thank you all so much. You are wonderful human beings, and we appreciate you every single goddamn day. We truly, truly do. We also appreciate Shaker and Spoon, which is our sponsor for this week. They are a monthly cocktail subscription box that you can get in on the fun at shakerandspoon.com slash spirits. But we'll tell you more about that later. Yeah, we'll get there eventually. Got to get through some good, good badger lore first. Very important. I don't remember what we were drinking for this one, but I can tell you later about the Shaker and Spoon uh, cocktail that I made while we were recording this. But we'll get there. Yeah, I never remember anything that we talk about or drink or do during episodes. So, you know, it's actually pretty fun because I get to enjoy the show as a listener and be like, yo, mermaids are great. And uh, the person in the episode happens to also sound like me. So, you know, it's all good. Yeah, it's wonderful. This is truly an action-filled and exciting episode. So we're going to let you get right to it. This is Spirits Podcast Episode 84, Talking Badgers with Adel Rafai. So, listeners, this week we are joined by a very special guest. I am very excited, if you cannot tell from my voice and the shakiness of it. Um, we are joined by Adel Rafai of uh, Hello from the Magic Tavern. And Hello. Welcome, Adel. Hi. <laughs> How's it going? Thank you so much for having me. It's absolutely our pleasure. Uh, for our listeners that don't know what Hello from the Magic Tavern is, it is a... I was told all of your listeners know what Hello from the Magic Tavern oh, is. Oh, damn. Okay. Uh-oh. Oh, no. I outed my... Oh, what have no. we done? <laughs> How um, embarrassing for our for listeners you. who have been living under a rock, um, Hello from the Magic Tavern is, I want to say, like an improv audio drama, I suppose, uh, about a magical land that a man fell through a portal behind a Burger King into and is now podcasting from this magical land. Is that about right? That's about <laughs> that, it. That about wraps it up. Yep. All right, cool. That's better than what I'm- Arnie does. <laughs> it's usually better than what Artie does. I feel like whenever I explain, like when people talk to me and they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a podcaster. And they're like, what's the podcast you do? And I, I launch into like that spiel. 
mm-hmm. feel like 90% of the times, like, their eyes glaze over and are just like, oh, <laughs> oh no. that that's cute. Like, good for you. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah. I, I swear yeah. people listen to it. That's what I say to my mom every time I tell her I'm doing a new project. We're, like, actually very famous ma'am <laughs> we i kind of wanted to just start with we're gonna get into like some actual spiritsy storytelling later but i kind of want to start with the idea of hey how do you make a magical world most of the show is improvised if i'm not mistaken is that right yeah about i mean 99.9 percent of it is improvised i think every 10 episodes or so, we'll have something where we're like, let's try and actively reference the Dark Lord is having a birthday coming up. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll set, every once in a while, we'll set sort of like goals to hit. Sure. Um, but, but it's never, even then, it's not even like a script. It's just like, at some point, can you mention this? Or like, at some point, can you get me to this place or something? Mm-hmm. Like an anchor. Like, you an, know? yeah, like absolutely. A thing that we have to, you know, at some point, wrap this line around. Absolutely. Yep, yep. That's the sort of flow of it or structure of it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm interested kind of because, you know, as a mythology and folklore podcast, obviously you guys really dig into a lot of mythology and folklore that isn't Foon specific, like manticores and fairies and hungry ghosts and all that kind of thing. So I'm curious how much like actual research kind of goes into the world building either by the you three main cast or uh, the guests that are coming on and performing with you. I'm curious as to how much world building is uh, specific and how much is just kind of made on the fly. I think it's almost all made up on the fly. I mean, I'm I'm definitely like my interests are uh, in the supernatural and folklore and mythology and all that jazz. So I'm I'm very much influenced by what I consume. Mm-hmm. So if I'm reading a specific book on, um, you know, um, like I, I read, have you read the Jim Butcher Dresden Files series? Amanda Heck loves yeah. the Dresden Files. Yeah, we reference it often, and <laughs> listeners are always like, oh my god, I didn't know anybody else liked these books. It's very exciting. It's, they're so, so good. So I, I was um, flying through those, and every once in a while, like, they have um, the Malkin cat, like the great big cat that's um, almost yeah. like sinister um, later in the series. So when I was reading that book, and it referenced the Malkin cats, that kind of stuck in my craw. And then as we were recording we were trying to think up ways to like get a message out or something. And I was like, Oh, I talked to the Malkins and they're coming. So I think it's not, we never plan to um, put forth these, these ideas or, or lores or myths, but I think whatever's in our head kind of will, will tumble out um, when shook. So that's how we kind of approach it. Um, again, if we have something that we actively want to inject into the show, we'll talk about it briefly and make sure mm-hmm. that gets done, but that's few and far between. But Normally, it's just we just kind of make up something on the fly. And a lot of times, obviously, if you listen to the show, it's it's very much influenced by the real world or, you know, yeah, our world. So we definitely have reference like instead of Slender Man, I think we had like Skinny Boy or whatever, whatever <laughs> it was. So we, we have a lot of analogous or, or parallel myths and lores. You guys do a great job with that, for sure. Since you mentioned it, and since this is a mythology, folklore, urban legends podcast, are there mm-hmm. particular stories that you're usually drawn to? Or like, what are some of your some of your go to favorite stories when it comes to that kind of stuff? I feel like one of the one of the most formative things in my life, besides the movie Beetlejuice, was when I was a kid, my mom got me a 
book that she probably should not have gotten me, but it mm-hmm. was um, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Oh, yeah. yes. We Hell had like yes. six of those yes. in our elementary school library. Julia and I grew up together. Uh, and I remember we would basically just like cycle through, you know, which of us was checking out that book at a given time. Yeah, Absolutely. you would get in trouble if you took it out too many times. Which <laughs> just I it off. They'd be like, legally, we have to alert the authorities because that's a very dark book. Mm-hmm. The school psychologist is waiting. Yeah. But it's, Probably would have been helpful, but yeah. <laughs> but it's a collection of, I think there's three books, or uh, the ones I have, it's it's three. Um, but it's Alvin Schwartz is the author, and then even more sort of potent or powerful are the drawings by Stephen Gamble. Oh, they're insane. Um, yeah. Which at some point they, I, I remember like 10 years ago, they re-released the books without his illustrations because they were too terrifying. So they like toned it down. <laughs> and I remember seeing like the cartoonish drawings that whoever stepped in to, to fill his shoes did. And it's like disgusting. Oh man, that like bee hair woman, like the beehive that is actually a beehive oh, yeah. uh, hairdo. I remember like I could I could reproduce that right now. It, it was so striking <laughs> to me. For me it's the it's the spider coming out of the woman's cheek. That's oh, yeah. the one that strikes me. Yeah, like, like the other one. In her cheek and, um Oof. my favorite is probably Harold, which is the the scarecrow um Ooh, yeah. that comes to life and like um skins the owner on the farm. Mm-hmm. Those books, um I got that book maybe when I was seven or eight. So I remember at an early age just those illustrations being like emblazoned in the back of my eyelids, like Whenever I close my eyes, just seeing those and being terrified. Mm -hmm. But it also led to like my current proclivities, which is like, again, being obsessed with like the supernatural or the weird or oddities or anything like that. So I feel like those books were like the most formative of um, media that I consumed as Mm -hmm. a as a child. So that's that's by my recommendation. Nice. Um, for me, those books really go hand in hand with the kinds of stories that we would tell each other at sleepovers, you know, mm-hmm. and at summer camp. Um, were there any like urban legend uh, type stories that you guys told each other either as younger kids or like stuff in high school that was probably dangerous that y'all did anyway to like impress each other? We had so I went to high school. I moved around a bit as a kid, but we settled in Kiwani, Illinois, which is just like a small farm town. It's the hog capital of the world, which is not <laughs> a claim to fame. They used to. No, not every, usually. <laughs> Every year, um, they have a festival called Hog Days, which they still Aww. have. And every year, they used to crown a hog king and hog queen. Um, <laughs> which was, was the ugliest hog, the hog wart. <laughs> which was not uh, not necessarily coveted by the, the young men and women in town. Um, no, you wouldn't think so. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we had, a, in high school, there was, in junior high and high school, there was a legend of Deer Man. So in our local woods, which I think was like, Johnson Sock Trail and another wooded area preserve. Um, there was a legend that there was a deer man who was deer on top, man on bottom. Um, <gasps> oh no! So we used to go out to the woods and would like hang out there after dark and like call for the deer man or like somebody would run. You know, somebody would excuse themselves and then make noises in the woods to scare others or whatever that is. So we definitely had a lot of fun with with the local local lore of deer man, which I think is pretty fun. I, I love a good reverse centaur uh, urban legend. Absolutely. I, and, oh, <laughs> I would love no. it if it was man deer. And it was just like top top part was a man, bottom half was a deer. And it's just like, oh, you're just a deer. <laughs> you're just a deer. <laughs> you're oh, just okay. a disfigured man. Like, you're not scary. <laughs> That's a, There's a couple of Native American folklore stories about the deer woman who Ooh. goes to parties and seduces men and then like gets them into accidents. So that, that seems very much... Kind of inspired, maybe, from that area. What kind of accidents would she get them into? Like, usually she'll like 
So if someone, if she's trying to seduce someone and they basically tell her no, is they're driving away from the party, she'll just appear and cause them to crash. Oh, like a deer would. Yeah, like a deer. Very resourceful. (laughs) Except a woman, you know, like the the deer man, like the deer woman. And it's, it's a woman when she kind of appears as a human, it's woman on top. And then she kind of like moves her skirt and it's a deer hooves, which (laughs) normally I find the like human animal mashups to be pretty terrifying. Mm -hmm. But that one I think is kind of adorable. Yeah, it's like, oh, like delicate ankles. Despite the like almost murder that goes on there. Yeah. 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 And when she appears to a guy, she'll give her name as Jane Doe. <laughs> Ooh. How did I not make that joke in that episode? Damn it. Damn. Lost opportunity. <laughs> oh, God. I, I know you guys do, as part of a spinoff series for Hello from the Magic Tavern, you do uh, Offices and Bosses, mm-hmm. which is the fantasy version of Dungeons and Dragons. Did you guys play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons as kids, or is that something you picked up later in life? Or I never did because I was wildly popular. Um, <laughs> Checks out. I think. <laughs> I think um, I think Matt maybe did. I don't believe Arnie did. Um, but I definitely, maybe like two and a half years ago, I started doing a campaign with some friends, a, a lot of people who have been on the show. Mm-hmm. So we do, we've been doing uh, every Saturday morning for two and a half years we've been doing a campaign. Oh, that's awesome. And now I'm like obsessed with it. So it's it's very much like what I look forward to most every week. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm, I wasn't into it as a, as a kid. It wasn't that, or like magic, the gathering or any of that wasn't, was a very, like a tertiary ideas in my life. But recently I've gotten into it and, and I absolutely adore it. And it's, it's very much like in my wheelhouse of like, if you're an improviser, it's so much fun to, to play D and D and just like embrace those assets. Yeah. I, we like to joke that D and D is like, um, if, if you're gay or if you liked acting as a kid, you most definitely got into D&D later in life. Absolutely. Uh, Amanda actually does a D&D podcast, which is the only reason I brought this up because Whoa, I know you guys play a lot of, the of D&D. Yeah, it's called Join the Party. Um, and we are very much uh, trying to sound like an audio drama while having a really fun game of D&D. So we play a lot with uh, kind of pop culture tropes. So right now we're doing an arc called Bachelorette Party, where <laughs> our um, our players find themselves in a uh, Bachelorette style reality show for uh, it's like win the love and affection of the leader of a city state we've never <laughs> been to before. That's um, And yeah, before that was a, a pool party with like a mythology inspired big bad. Um, so it's it's very fun. And I like it a lot. I play like a uh, sort of hopeless like lesbian skater teen who wants to be an assassin <laughs> but is too overwhelmed by like all women to actually do much <laughs> that uh, old so. she's great <laughs> yeah that's really wonderful. playing to uh to my experience but yeah i, I think that D definitely appeals to anyone who is either a storyteller in the acting sense or writing sense so it makes sense that uh hello from the magic tavern has a D spinoff absolutely <laughs> yeah and lots of improv obviously as well yeah. um I, uh, do you improv, um, kind of other places as well professionally? Yeah, I mostly do. There's a place in Chicago called IO. Um, mm-hmm. it's formerly improv Olympic, but now it's, it's short in IO, but, uh, I perform there weekly. I usually do Friday nights with a group called revolver and then Saturday nights with a group called world news tonight. Um, but that's sort of my home base and I'll uh, again, like do two or three shows there a week when possible. That's awesome. That's um, awesome. but I used to, I used to perform elsewhere, but I think with just getting busier and busier, I kind of um, just whittled it down to those those two shows I 
Mm-hmm. pop up in yeah that um the idea of, of performing on a stage terrifies me i was very much a techie in our high school theater scene and not okay. um, an actor but um playing D has kind of made me feel a little bit more confident in you know my ability to react to stuff as it's being thrown at me oh that's um, great so i i think they're really you know they're it's like it's really beneficial especially for people who might have identified as you know shy nerds in um elementary school which uh, i bet a lot of podcasters and podcast listeners did um try try D. It, it can be really fun Absolutely. And I feel like I like my, my personality, I'm like, if I have to be on stage and be myself, that's when I get kind of shaky of like, no one wants to see or hear this idiot. But if I'm able to play a character like I do in improv or with Magic Tavern live shows or something, it's it's so comfortable. And it's so like, I don't even think about the audience being there. Or if I do, it's very much like, this is a celebration and not like anything to be nervous Mm -hmm. about. So Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of um, incredible how quickly you can get over any amount of stage fright just by slipping into a character or just embracing the the atmosphere. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Speaking of which, your your most recent live show that you guys put out on Monday featured uh, one of our good friends, Lauren Shippen, who's Ooh. been on the podcast before, who oh, is a wonderful yay. human being. Yeah, she's great. <laughs> she's awesome. So I think we're going to get into some actual storytelling parts now. Um, so I'm going to tell you um, a little bit about your character, I guess. <laughs> Yes, please. I'll, uh, I'll dim the lights and put a flashlight in front of my face. Do it. Yeah, a little bit a little bit of gin and a little bit of uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark Vibes is what we're going for. <laughs> I, started, I started a campfire on my floor. There we go. Perfect. I literally have gin in a camping mug right now. Dang. So uh, I, am, I am ready. For our listeners who have not listened to Magic Tavern yet but should and should do it, pause it right now, start listening to the show, come back to us. No, Julia, awesome. Julia, don't, don't dilute the call to action. No, come on. Sh- it's fine. <laughs> Um, so your character is Chunt, uh, who is very often erroneously called a talking badger by the host Arnie. Uh, he's really a shapeshifter. But I'm curious if you, uh, Adel, or you, Amanda, would be surprised if I told you that there are talking badger myths in Japanese folklore. Well, well, well. Are there really? I did not know that. We well, got lots of talking animals. Actually, not as many talking animals as fairy tales would have you believe. Yes. Most of the time in at least the shapeshifters we've discussed, like the, the, you know, Selkie or others, they have an animal form and a human form. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of like talking to humans as an animal. Well, we get a little bit of both in this story. So it's, it's the uh, full package Ooh. here. Um, so as we've discussed in previous episodes, Japan has the best and weirdest folklore, and that's what we love about it. Um, so we're going to talk about the Mujina, which is actually a really archaic term uh, for just badger in Japanese. Uh, huh. But basically, it's also used for a term for a shape-shifting yokai, which are the Japanese demons slash spirits. But the Mujina specifically has the form of a badger and can turn into a human. Quick sidebar. Yes. We mentioned earlier the, the Malkin in Dresden Files. Malkin is just an old English word for cat. That's mm-hmm. just That was the word for cat before we used the word cat. I love when um, we do that. And I love in both of these examples how like this archaic term for badger, like as a different uh, term comes into use, the oldest one becomes the spookiest one because yes. old stuff is spooky. And I love that that is true. I love old things. They're so creepy. That's why we love <laughs> antiques and just assume that everything's haunted. Yeah. Or like anything a grandma says is spookier than anybody else. So when a grandma <laughs> like uses older language to refer to something, you're like, that's not a cat. That's a haunted thing. Oh, yeah. When my grandma used to call our couch a Davenport, <gasps> I'd be like, oh, no. whoa. Anyone? Okay, I'm trying you to spooky think. witch. My, yeah. my grandma calls a footstool um, 
an ottoman i think that's pretty normal though no that's that's pretty <laughs> that's pretty on brand for grandmas my grandma would call uh the again couch davenport she'd call the bathroom a commode <gasps> oh my grandma does that too um yeah um what else would she say oh, dinner grandma just sounds stop, fancy as hell. stop wrestling huh grandmas man they're the best grandmas <laughs> so in their badger form uh mugina tend to live in the mountains usually away from human society uh, so they're they're known to shapeshift into three different forms. Uh, the first one is an attractive woman with a quote unquote promiscuous nature, and once Uh-oh. they seduce a human, they cause mischief in their partner's lives. Which I feel like I might have dated a couple of those in the past. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there's actually a great quote from uh, 627 CE that states, In two months of spring, there are Mujina in the country of Mutsu. Uh, they turn into humans and they sing songs, which is just great. Well, Aww, if you're, if you're, that's adorable. If you're going to come across a, uh, a shape-shifting uh, quasi-cryptid, I suppose that's not the worst effect in the world. Yeah, no, the, it really doesn't get creepy until the end of this, which is usually a good bonus now i'm thinking about what's gonna be creepy come on (laughs) so in another region of japan uh shimosa there uh the talking badgers are referred to as kubukiri kozo uh but instead of attractive women they transform either into small monks or little boys wearing tiny kimonos (laughs) (laughs) bunch of little scamps scamps. that's adorable i know you can't be suspicious of that so they tend to appear on less trafficked roads at night, and they sing to passerby a song that just goes, drink water, drink tea, which is just I mean, freaking adorable. It's not bad advice. Yeah. I, is the idea that they would stop and drink water at the roadside or mm. just like trying to be helpful? They're just trying to tell people to keep hydrated and drink your eight waters a day. Oh, adorbs. Thank you. Uh, if they're approached by a stranger, they run off into the dark and transform back into their animal form, which Same. is just cute. It's just like stranger danger. I feel like that that's that character is ripe for like advertising of like having a badger turn into a small boy in a kimono mm-hmm. and being like always coca-cola like, <laughs> Coke products and then scamping off and turning into a polar bear or i something. like that i appreciate that listen oh, go more, shop more that polar around shapeshifters oh it'd be so much better if, if the coca-cola polar bear were a shapeshifter <laughs> it would be also if you, if you've never listened to hello from the magic tavern what i might do on the show is once you said that those badgers were called mugina mm-hmm. is that what they're yep. called i would just wait for a opening for me to just reference damn mugina <laughs> spoiler alerts for future episodes groan. now people would groan and then we'd move on <laughs> well here we so dig that's in. the kind of quality product that you would expect to find on hello from the i appreciate we that dig thank into you groanable lines <laughs> and we do not let go <laughs> we grasp onto them and just hold them tight the final form that the mugina takes is the form of a faceless human known as the nopa barbo uh no no that's not how you pronounce that word hold on oh no sorry i was noping to the idea of i mean also creature. it's nope how you pronounce it but <laughs> it's noperabo basically it's just a normal human form but they have no facial features whatsoever no worst case scenario yeah uh this form is specifically used by the mugina to scare humans away from their homes in the mountains uh however the noparabo is a form that's not specific to the mugina and there's multiple types of yokai that uh can use that form i love that idea it's like predators uh just kind of agreeing that red means like poison and danger or rather i guess like nature you know like nature 
often you know red stuff is poisonous to animals and animals mm. are like okay we can all agree on that one at least we're um, not gonna eat and them. so yeah and, and so if, if yokai are like okay listen they have some kind of council some kind of round table you know at top, top of the mountain and say to each other all right we've got to deal with this human problem put aside our differences put aside our taxation quarrels and uh let, let's just use <laughs> use the most successful one which obviously is a creepy ass faceless person of course obviously <laughs> but then some local fox is like but what about the zoning laws oh, like i want to make sure my shut up Jim. My den is not affected by construction. <laughs> There's too much gentrification going on. Noise ordinances, you know. It's the damn kitsune, <laughs> you know how it goes. <laughs> what was the the faceless human? Sounds like did you ever watch Avatar The Last yes, Airbender or the, the cartoon the animated series? Yeah. Wasn't there some sort of like faceless shapeshifter? Yeah, there's like a there's some sort of creature that's called the face stealer, if I remember correctly. That's what it that's was. It. Yeah, yeah. I feel like that was the most terrifying character in an animated series oh it's super creepy for sure and i'm pretty sure that's based in actual uh, japanese folklore if i remember correctly okay because most of the series you're like oh like look at appa like that's adorable this is all very cute and then the face stealer shows up and you're like everything's gone to yep hell. everything is terrible <laughs> like this is like john carpenter's the thing come to animation which is a great movie but i don't want to watch it in my my children's animation <laughs> Of course, yes. <laughs> it's like the yeah the worst Reese's peanut butter cup of like you got your Japanese nightmare in my animation. <laughs> you got my animation in your Japanese nightmare. I'm like both of those are bad together. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like an animated nightmare would be a lot easier to handle. Would it be though? True. I think Tim Burton has proven you wrong there. <laughs> yeah, just that, in general, that very well could be. Julia, you know what I love even more than drinking? Organized spreadsheets. I do love that a lot. The show Lost Girl. Oh, I love Lost Girl. Wonderful, like, bisexual pins. <gasps> I have so many bisexual pins. No, Julia, I love drinking without leaving my house. It's same. my favorite Hard part. Same. I know that we, we like, originated spirits in bars after work, but now we're goddamn adults and we can drink in our own homes also, which is we why... Can. I am so grateful that this week we are sponsored by Shaker and Spoon. Tell us all about it. Well, Shaker and Spoon is a monthly cocktail subscription box that delivers craft cocktail experience to your home. It is amazing. I just got a box, my rum box, delivered like two days ago. And let me tell you, oh my God. For, first off, the packaging is absolutely beautiful. And the way that they like send you all the ingredients, they have like little tiny like little bottles full of uh, adorable, adorable bitters. Like I have tiki bitters for the one that I just got. It's absolutely insane. You know what? I reuse those bottles to bring my little like essential oils on travel with me Smart. like in my, in my suitcase. It's very nice. Yeah, and the nice part is, so each time you get a monthly box, you get three brand new original recipes created by world-class bartenders, and it comes with enough ingredients, so like the syrups, the bitters, the mixers, the garnishes. Uh, they make 12 cocktails, four of each recipe, and they're just like perfect for either get-togethers or if you're just like hanging around your house and you and your fiance both want cocktails that night and there's a really nice like tiki-style drink there and it's summertime and it's really hot. Like that's all you want. It's amazing. So they send you all the stuff and then you just have to pick up the liquor. So it's it's nice because like I, I know what liquor I like and I am kind of hesitant to like buy a thing that I'm not quite sure I'll enjoy or even how to use so it not only teaches you how to make drinks with a specific kind of liquor but it's also like really mindful that you would don't always want to like buy a whole new bottle of something just try one new drink it uses 12 cocktails for one full bottle of spirits right and the nice part is like even though the recipes are bar quality the 
like instructions for them are super easy to follow. Like I made this like tiki rum gimlet basically that was inspired by Hemingway. It was really nice. Um, but, but it was like so easy to make. I made four of them in the span of like less than five minutes. It was incredible. So cool. And I hope you save at least one of those recipes for our get together this weekend. Cause I'm definitely going to need some to beat the heat. Yes, of course. Awesome. So if you want to get in on the fun and try your first box of Shaker and Spoon, you can get $20 off your first box by going to shakerandspoon.com slash spirits. And we can assure you it is absolutely worth it. We love these folks. We partnered with them to fulfill one of our uh, patron legend boxes last month, and it went over so well. So they are true friends and show your support of the show by trying out Shaker and Spoon this month, shakerandspoon.com slash spirits. And let's get back to the stories. It's also mentioned in a couple of episodes that Chunt's father is a hunger ghost. Am I correct in Mm -hmm. that? That's correct. Which I, when I mentioned that, I was just like, oh, this would be a funny idea. And then a few months after I mentioned that, people sent me articles that that's like a Japanese lore. Oh, yeah. And we're going to talk about it. We're going to dive right in. You scooped yourself. I feel like in a previous life, I was a a shogun or something. Like, this is, (laughs) my my subconscious is filled with so much Japanese lore. Yeah. (laughs) I like that. I was super excited to hear about that because I, I did know about uh, Hungry Ghosts when you guys brought it up in the podcast. Uh, so Hungry Ghosts are basically from traditional Chinese religion, uh, but it persisted into the uh, adoption of Chinese Buddhism. Uh, they're known as eguai in Chinese and are distinct from the generic guai, which is a spirit of a deceased ancestor, in that they can only occur in very unfortunate circumstances, such as a whole family being killed or when a family is no longer venerating their ancestors. Huh. Uh, so there are also some traditions that say that evil deeds lead to the soul being reborn in one of six different realms, the lowest degrees uh, which the soul is reborn as a hungry ghost. So these evil deeds include killing, stealing, sexual misconduct, uh, and desire, greed, and anger, and ignorance are all factors because they're motivators for people to perform these terrible deeds. It's like the most advanced form of hangriness, which is <laughs> yes. so hungry that you're a literal yeah. vengeance ghost. I mean, that's what's going to happen to me, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it's not off base. I, <laughs> I think there's a point here. So oral tradition dictates that the ghosts of ancestors can be invited back into the world of the living at certain times during the year. So they're usually hungry and ready to take whatever they can from the world of the living, especially if the spirits have not been given uh, sufficient offerings by their living relatives. So the Hungry Ghost Festival, which is a real thing is put on in order to honor the hungry ancestor spirits. Uh, Food and drink is put out to satisfy their needs. The gates of hell are said to open so that the hungry ghosts can seek food and entertainment. Like, it's intense. It gets real intense. So so in this lore, Mm -hmm. all all the hungry ghosts are in hell? Yeah. It's like one of the levels of hell, and the lowest level of hell, like the the least severe level of hell, is you become a hungry ghost. Wow. so weird. I feel like if a dead relative is in hell and they come back like you shouldn't feed them (laughs) i mean they're starving it's like the um yeah it's like what's the it's tantalus it's tantalus in uh the greek underworld you know he's just hungry give him some food (laughs) or is it like training a stray cat to keep coming back because they they get food from you one time and then they're like oh great food forever Exactly. It's like you made your hell now lying. Oh man. Now this now you're true. making me rethink my ghost ethics and I don't appreciate that, Amanda. <laughs> I'm also getting very strong spirited away vibes, which yes, I very much appreciate. For sure. Um, so traditionally, actually, relatives will burn what 
quote unquote hell money, which they're uh, they do in uh, in order to offer to their loved ones because that's the currency of the afterlife. All money's hell money. Hashtag down with capitalism. <laughs> you're gonna get real down with can- uh, with oh not down with cannibalism. You're gonna get real down with capitalism in this next section because I'm gonna tell you that in uh, Buddha Dharma there are three types of hungry ghosts and they're divided by how much money one has when they die. Oh, what is the conversion for hell money to dollars? Um, I think it's like. 2.5 hell dollars to a dollar. That makes it checks out. <laughs> but what is the exchange to Bitcoin? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's the worst level. I, of I refuse to do Bitcoin like, stuff. <laughs> Sorry. I feel like in hell, most likely in hell, the currency used is like those Bed Bath and Beyond 10%. Yes, that ones. never expire because you're in hell. That seems no, like guys, what hell money is to me. It's cryptid currency. Uh, oh, oh, snap. Oh. That was a bad joke. It was a terrible You know what, Julia? Joke. Having an actual comedian it. on the show, I'm realizing how how not funny I actually am. <laughs> I realize that every moment of every waking day. Oh, boy. Buddha Dharma, three types of ghosts. Uh, so it starts with those with no wealth. And the hungry ghosts with no wealth usually have flaming mouths in which food and drink become flames and burn up. They have needle mouths, which their throats are so tiny that food cannot pass through it. Or vile mouths, <laughs> where they are so decomposed they can no longer ingest anything. Jesus. Yeah, it's not good. Not great. The next group is those with little wealth. Uh, they are just basically able to only eat small amounts at a time. And then there are the ones, the 1% of the hungry ghosts with lots of wealth. Uh, and those are broken down into three sections. There's the ghost of sacrifices, uh, and they live off the sacrifices offered by humans. The ghosts of losses, who live off lost objects from the human world. That's and the ghosts, where they go. Yeah, I know. That's every, those missing socks, it's a hungry ghost. <laughs> Uh, And then there's the ghosts of great powers, which are also known as yakshas, uh, and they rule over all the other hungry ghosts. Uh, And those are extremely rare because, you know, capitalism only benefits a few. Wow. That's so fascinating that there's like a transferable caste system, like in the the ghost world. It's a little concerning, but, you know, I can't I can't knock a religion for their, you know, setup. Needle mouth. Was that one of them? Needle mouth or needle? I feel like that's like a, a... insult used in like back to the future 2 or something I feel like, like it would like, be that's such a weird term yeah wow i mean it's it's a very evocative image though like any any kind of um you know sisyphean uh myth where the thing that the person needs is the one thing that they can't have like that's just you mm. know the the like most uh the, the most essential like human story and tragedy that there is um but i i would have assumed i guess that the uh the ghosts that had the least in their mortal life would have had the easiest afterlife but Mm -hmm. that is uh pretty fucked up that um capitalism (laughs) can even uh ruin the ethics of the the afterworld yep it's bad (laughs) um what would you if you were a needle mouth like let's be honest we're all just like we're all probably huffle hufflepuffs Mm -hmm even if we don't want to admit sure. it. If we're all needle mouths in the afterlife, like, are we, what are we, what are we eating? Are we, is it like fun dip? Like what's. I mean, I'd go soup probably, you know, like a, like yeah. a nice broth. Ooh. Yes. Good call. Yeah. I feel like that's the, that's the loophole yeah. is like, damn. <laughs> yeah. Go. I, I assume that in the afterworld, I will uh, no longer have dietary restrictions. So I would definitely mm-hmm. go like 
milkshakes all the way. Yeah, my my Hulu is showing me uh, exclusively um, Dairy Queen ads for uh, <laughs> for like delicious Oreo milkshakes that I will never taste. Oh, <laughs> so buddy, that's, I'm sorry. that's my that's my uh, tragedy of Tantalus right now. Um, but th- that that is very much on my mind. You would hope that your afterlife isn't also tormenting you in that way. Yeah, or like if, you know, if I can only digest a little, I don't know, I don't know. But yeah, definitely liquid, liquid that can slide right on past those needles is the answer, I think. That's the goal. <laughs> what about you, Adel? I mean, now it's soup. Yeah. I feel stupid for not thinking of that. Probably or even like outlawed. raw spaghetti. Like oh, just yeah. raw spaghetti, just, just, just put it right down. Slowly pushing it down your I'm throat. sorry, raw yeah. spaghetti? Yeah. <laughs> that wouldn't slide very well. Ah, it depends <laughs> on the size and shape of your throat, I guess, as a needle throat Ooh, that's just that's just a gnarly uh, imagery and i'm not a fan so some hungry ghosts are actually able to leave hell whenever they like which kind of defeats the purpose of hell but whatever huh. um during the day they are invisible but they appear as ghostly figures during the nighttime they often can be found looking through garbage and human waste in the outskirts of human cities uh Jesus. yeah uh, some are said only to be raccoons. able to eat corpses and you can identify a hungry ghost by their large uh, disasec- uh How do you pronounce that word, Amanda? Distended. That's the one. So you can tell uh, from their large bellies and the facts that their necks, as we mentioned before, are as thin as needles. <laughs> I love these, like, it's almost like the North, North American Guide to Birds or something <laughs> of like, you can tell a hungry ghost <laughs> from the distended. Where it's like, if you saw one, you would not sit there long enough to be like, what markings am I looking for yeah or like it doesn't sound like there's any recourse against them like if you're if you're in the presence of these ghosts that's sort of it for you so i don't know how uh (laughs) how like useful their you know taxonomy would really be that's actually one of my favorite jokes to make about like naturalists talking about quote-unquote cryptids like people who are like yes i observed the bigfoot and he was exactly five foot six inches and had hair all (laughs) over his feet and just like you didn't see him for long enough to be able to identify any of those things but <laughs> yeah okay. you super ran out of there don't get me don't 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 fool me hungry ghosts don't exist just in china uh for example there is the tibetan buddhism version where hungry ghosts are known as preta and they have quote mouths the size of a needle's eye we're still really on that needle stuff uh Oops. and a mm-hmm. stomach the size of a mountain which oh. seems a little bit uh lopsided in my opinion <laughs> but that's you know i don't know that that's tragedy for you right it's like comparing two things that shouldn't go together yeah and honestly how do you shop for shirts you don't you just gotta go shirtless <laughs> you gotta live that life just... at that point you're a ghost you don't have much more to lose let's be honest yeah or or there's a really good ghostly tailor out there that's making stuff specifically for hungry ghosts or, I'm not mad about it. It's probably a good business. Or maybe standards of beauty in the afterlife are very different. And you really want to go for dat hourglass figure <laughs> and like dat mountain stomach. That pear shape, though. Oh, <laughs> really a triangle. <laughs> Yikes. Preta exist in their own realm. And they are said to be the metaphor for people attempting to fulfill their illusionary physical needs, which seems a little bit more on brand than the Chinese one, in my opinion. But that's just me. Huh. Wow. Sorry, was the original myth Japanese or Chinese? Uh, original myth was Chinese. Cool. That's Tibetan. And then we're going to touch upon uh, Japanese, which there are two types of hungry ghosts in Japan. There are the gaki, which are spirits of jealous or greedy people who have been cursed with an insatiable hunger for one particular substance or object as punishment for their vices. Uh, usually these things are considered like particularly disgusting, such as like corpses or literal shit. 
Uh-oh. <laughs> but just like we're we're going to yuck a lot of yums apparently in Japan. Um <laughs> So it's actually in modern tellings though, uh the like the hunger can be for anything. So like I don't know, like Pokemon cards. They could just want to eat all the Pokemon Gotta get cards. them all. Gotta get them all. <laughs> Gotta get them all. Gotta catch them all and put them in my stomach. Gotta vor them the all. Only... Man, that, that is the original uh, the original Pokedex, I guess. That's how you can fit all those Pokemon into one place is you digest yeah. them. They could have hungry eyes. They just want to observe everything. <laughs> that would be much better. <laughs> oh, so much better. The other type of hungry ghost from Japan is called the Jikaninki, which are spirits of greedy and selfish individuals, again, who are cursed after death to seek out and specifically eat human corpses. So they'll seek them out at night, eating newly dead bodies and food offerings left out for the dead. And usually they'll loot corpses for valuables, which kind of sounds like an excuse for grave robbing. But, you know, we have yeah. to tell stories in order to explain stuff. So sounds like right. Like a one of the kind of origins of this myth could be tied in with actual grave robbing. Yeah, for sure. So the last thing I want to talk about briefly is the Manticore, which is just like such a classic fantasy creature. You see them in D&D all the time. You see them in like a bunch of fantasy novels like Harry Potter and stuff like that. So it seems like something that we should totally talk about. Uh, and I believe in Hello from the Magic Tavern, Chunt's mother is a Manticore. All yep, right, that's good. my mommy. I'm just so glad <laughs> I can remember this kind of stuff. What, what is she like? What is she like in the show? Oh boy, we uh, we've never had anybody play her. We've had somebody play my dad. Um, I can't even, you know. Here's here's the the blessing and the curse of Magic Tavern is that we world build so um, speedily, like so quickly that when we bring it up later on, we forget what we said. Oh, I don't remember um, any of the episodes we've done, so absolutely no worries there. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> so I honestly can't remember what all I said about my mom. Manticars are pretty terrifying creatures from medieval stories. So um, if your mother is terrifying in Magic Tavern and we haven't met her yet, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, <laughs> so they're actually very similar to the Egyptian Sphinx, uh, but the Manticore is Persian in origin. It typically has the head of a human, the body of a lion, and a poisonous tail. Uh, depending on the source, it's either a scorpion's tail or it has spines similar to porcupine quills uh, that are poisonous. And I don't know, I particularly like the latter because I think it's kind of creepier than just the one stinger on a scorpion tail. But that's just me. I like. Oh yeah, I like weirdly <laughs> defensive mammals. And porcupines can like, uh, you know, puff up, they can shake their quills like a rattle and then mm -hmm. also just like make them gigantic. And suddenly the like surface area of stuff that can hurt you is immense. Yeah, it's and they can uh, sort of shoot those out. Right? Yeah, yeah. And actually, um, I'll, I'll mention the fact that the manticore in Dungeons and Dragons has a similar appearance to what I just described, uh, in addition to having dragon's wings. So just like make it as cool as fucking possible. Oh, great. Why not? Make it fly. I gotcha. Um, but fly. in D&D, the manticore's tail is that cluster of deadly spikes, and it can shoot it at foes as a ranged attack, because I love Yikes. a good ranged attack. <laughs> Yikes. The manticore is said to eat its victims whole using three rows of very sharp teeth, because one row is not terrifying enough. Shark mouth. Bring Shark it. mouth. Why not? Uh, yeah, if you're, if you're eating your victims whole, you're the opposite of a needle mouth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> you're, they you're do like, have that could... huge mountain-shaped stomach, though, so it, it works yeah, out for you're everyone. You're a mountain mouth, yeah. <laughs> you, you could be like a bed of needles mouth. That would be a lot more efficient. <laughs> My source also wanted me to indicate that it eats its victims whole and it leaves no bones behind, which, yeah, you know, you would assume just from the description that's true. 
don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, I guess more like I don't know. Yes, that that would be more stripping the carcass and less like eating it whole like a snake. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so manticore literally translates to man-eater in Middle Persian, and the English term for manticore is borrowed from the Latin word manticora, which, be, I don't know, everything's Latin. <laughs> um, so the manticore <laughs> was, because of Pliny the Elder, long considered by medieval Europeans to be an actual creature and was listed in many bestiaries and scholarly texts. Pliny which, the God Elder. God damn it, Pliny. Pliny the Elder just gets everything wrong constantly. Yeah, he is mentioned a lot by uh, Dr. Sidney McElroy on Sawbones, which is a medical history podcast that uh, we both really enjoy. Uh, and he just just made shit up. Like my my mental image of Pliny the Elder is just like a guy lounging like in a caftan, just like drinking wine and being like gallstones. I don't know. Those are from God. And like, who eat those grapes? They'll they'll solve your your bunions. Like just just making shit up. Got hemorrhoids? Uh, rub some boars shit on it it'll be fine turn around three times give me tribute and you'll be healed (laughs) thank you plenty for that um so because the medieval europeans thought that this was like a real creature that was worth fearing uh it was on a lot of uh, heraldry uh so for instance william hastings had it on his heraldry and so did the first earl of sussex um and they just all really loved the manticore and then everyone came to their senses like oh that's that's not real. I think they just meant a lion. They're like, oh, yeah, they probably just meant a lion. <laughs> I love the realization of like, wait, 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 wait. Have any of us seen this shit? No. Like, <laughs> yeah. Someone's lying. Marco Polo it. said he saw a uh, a unicorn once. So I guess there's unicorns. Oh, really? He did. He it did. was a rhino. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I guess in the in the age of, of skeletons and archaeology and fossils and stuff um, that started to, to disprove things. But like Julia, Julia makes fun of me at all the time for not remembering that narwhals are real. Narwhals and unicorns are so similar. Why should one be real and one shouldn't be like, I don't ugh, come on. Because one's one's a one's a creature that lives in the sea and the other one's a horse that has a horn on it. Give a girl a break. <laughs> wasn't like the what people thought were mermaids were actually like manatees weren't those like the original yeah manatees dugongs those those weird amazon uh river dolphins mm-hmm. so many so many good oh i saw a thing that kind of looked like a human so we're just gonna assume it's a human with a fish tail also i had an affair <laughs> don't worry about it it was a mermaid she seduced me a siren goodbye <laughs> Now our family is blessed with webbed fingers for some reason. That's a real thing that happens. Oh man. Uh, so yeah, that that's my uh, that's my chunt mythological background story for our for our dear listeners. It was wonderfully informative. I it's, you've given me so much fuel oh, to so burn glad. over the next year. I, I can't do. wait to hopefully hear something in uh, in Magic Tavern. From what I said, that would be great. Um, but Adol, thank you so much for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. Is there anything that you want to plug before we go? I mean, you mentioned Hello from the Magic mm-hmm. Tavern. I also do a podcast uh, with my sister called Sibling Speculator. Mm-hmm. Um, and a story I want to tell. I recently listened to your Grandma's Grandma's <gasps> Grandma's episode. Thank you. Oh, thanks. Which my was, favorite. Which was fantastic. Um and my grand, I just wanted to share a story from my great grandma, whose name was Fern Brownlee. <gasps> great story. And when I was a when I was a kid, uh, she lived to be like ninety eight or something. Yeah. She was a very very sturdy woman. Um, she and even when she passed away, she was living on her farm um, by herself, like mowing the lawn every day. Wow. Um, 
but she, her name was Fern Brownlee, and I used to call her Grandma Brownie <laughs> because <laughs> I was adorable. Um, but she used to raise Arabian horses or like breed Arabian horses, and then she later bred and raised Cocker Spaniels. Um, but she used to say that when she was sleeping in her farmhouse, and again, she, she lived, uh, her husband died in like the seventies maybe. So she lived by herself for some mm-hmm. time, but she used to say that she would awake in bed because she would feel one of the dogs looking, um, that she raised one of the dogs looking her hand and she would wake up and see the dog like scamper off. Um, and then when she would fully wake up, she'd realize that she didn't keep the dogs in the house. Oh, no. like they had Whoa. their own um sort of kennel or whatever it was outside so she would have like ghost dogs <gasps> running around the house which to me is like kind of terrifying <laughs> yeah uh, oh my God, I love but it. they but they would lick her hand like that was like a, a reoccurring uh occurrence wow was that the dogs would lick her hand to wake her up and then she'd wake up and and see them scamper off into the walls or whatever um which to me is pretty terrifying. No, it's amazing. I love it. I That's love terrifying awesome. things. So. Yeah. And like to, to be awoken by um, a sensation that you likely feel a lot, you know, like we feel like we're falling or being jerked awake or like our leg itches or whatever, yeah. but to wake up and then have that additional element of the visual uh, just makes that whole scenario so much more real and so much cooler. Oh, that's Absolutely. that's great. Thank you. Thank you for your grandma story. We appreciate it. Yes, of course. <laughs> I also love the, the story of the, um, the, grandma who was awoken by the ghost of her aunt oh, being yeah. like lock your windows and doors amazing <laughs> lock your windows damn it george i was totally waiting for like a the rug to be pulled under me from like her locking the windows and doors and the aunt being like what are we heating the neighborhood like, <laughs> i totally thought i totally thought it was just going to be like a conservative aunt kind of the the ghost of an aunt who just wants you to uh wants you to cut down on electricity costs i feel you yeah <laughs> yeah or like or like a hunger ghost that like fat shames her you know cousin like granddaughters and uh and nieces and nephews to be like no 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 d- stop put, put that plate of food down what what's gonna happen to it don't worry i'll take it don't worry about leave it leave it out for it. me it's fine it's fine <laughs> do you need a baked potato i do melissa do you I'm need a, hunger a baked ghost. potato yeah yeah <laughs> cool well thank you so much adel for joining us yeah thank you so much for having me and remember listeners stay creepy stay cool Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us your urban legends at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast for all kinds of behind-the-scenes stuff. Just one dollar gets you access to audio extras with so much more available too. Recipe cards, director's commentaries, exclusive merch, and real physical gifts. We are a founding member of Multitude, a collective of independent audio professionals. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. And above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please share us with your friends. That is the very best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time.